Welcome to episode eight of Through the Noise with me, Alex Banks. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Felix Sim. Now, Felix is the co-founder and project lead of Salad Ventures. Salad is a blockchain and play-to-earn think tank that develops and backs projects that shape the future of work 3.0 ecosystem. Today, they've raised 15.5 million from the likes of Gemini, Winklevoss Capital, Alameda Research, Multicoin Capital, and Polygon. Beyond the blockchain, Felix has run more than 2,000 events for multinational corporations via his virtual events company, Get Out. Prior to Salad, Felix spent 10 years inside traditional finance, including investment banking, hedge funds, and consulting. It's time to dive right in. So, Felix, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Alex, for having me. Very excited to um, see what I can I can share with you, the audience today. Absolutely. Now, let's take it back to the beginning. What was your course to you now co-founding Salad Ventures, Felix? Um, it's slightly different, slightly different from what I expected, uh, to be honest. Um, so I started uh, my career in the, working for a Japanese investment bank in Singapore. Um, and I was doing uh, a bit of FX uh, sales and FX trading, then worked for a couple of hedge funds, uh, also based in, in Singapore. And I did everything from, you know, back office work uh, to middle office risk management, uh, trading, um, a bit of analysis, as well as um, fundraising. And um, in 2008, I found my way to Dubai. Um, where I worked in the DIFC, the Dubai International Financial Center, uh, for a small uh, boutique consulting company. Uh, and what we did there was I, uh, I did advisory work. I helped set up financial institutions in the DIFC. I, I worked together with clients uh, and, and sort of act as a conduit between them and the regulator. Um, and also... Uh, did a bit of work in, in Islamic finance uh, and compliance. So that was, uh, did that for four years in Dubai. I decided to, to move back to Singapore, move back home where I'm from, uh, Singapore, um, in 2012. And of all things, decided to set up a corporate event company. Um, and that would be the probably the only question that I will not be able to answer uh, today on this podcast is <laughs> why did I decide to get into that? Uh, I don't know, uh, but I just did. Uh, so did that. Uh, we started offering um, team building services, family day, organizing family day festivals, uh, organizing gala dinners, uh, focused primarily on, on corporate events. Uh, so did that for a number of years until COVID hit. Uh, and when COVID hit, we basically took a year off thinking and planning and, and finding new partnerships and trying to figure out uh, sort of our next steps. And uh, But what I uh, was very sure of when, when COVID started to become a thing on the news uh, was that I was sure that uh, work has now completely changed. I, I believe that the severity of this pandemic is going to um, change the way we work. It is probably going to re-globalize um, uh, the workforce uh, across all uh, businesses. And uh, yeah, for sure, one of the thing that we needed to do first was to uh, make sure that we were poised to offer virtual event services. So we did that for you know uh, the last two and a half years or so. Um, and in the process, so uh, that was probably late 2020, 
Um, I just thought okay, my wife has, um, is, has already been managing the business for a couple of years now. And I sort of wanted to do something bigger. I wanted to build something that's more global. Um, and uh, I've been, I started looking around. Uh, and what I found online, I, what I found on, on YouTube was I found, I came across a video on Axie Infinity, which, uh, which is a play to earn game. Uh, and I saw, I found that that was pretty interesting because, you know, again, my initial thesis was we need to um, find a way to, uh, to, to, to get into this new type of work. Um, and I thought, you know, play to earn, to, to sort of earn money and to earn a living was a pretty interesting concept. So I dug more into it. And after digging more, then I came across this business model, as they call it, um, which is which is called a guild. Um, so guild, for the listeners who are not so familiar with play to earn, uh, is, is literally um, a group of players, a group of people who play um, games under your brand or under your company. Uh, and and in, re- in return for playing those games as they earn, they get a percent of the revenues or the percent of the earnings in return for playing a game uh, on your behalf. Um, so in that case, these players uh, have uh, are now called scholars, uh, and guild owners are effectively called uh, called guilds. Uh, so I thought that was a pretty interesting model, um, and for sure during COVID, uh, it would be, you know if there's anything that they can do to earn some money at home, um, it would be something that's very well received. And so I looked at how uh, the guild guilds were being run at that time. Uh, and uh, interestingly, I you know, came across a few of the processes that I did not agree with, and I felt that they were not being uh, optimized. So, you know, as every entrepreneur would do, you always think that you can build a better car, build a better wheel, and build a better process. Uh, and that's, that's, that's sort of what got me started um, with, with Salad Ventures. Yeah, that's such a terrific story to hear, Felix. And I think with your previous experience at the Japanese investment bank and within traditional finance to more recently a very successful corporate event planning business, what would you say were your biggest takeaways from those prior experiences to now operating Salad? Um, I think those, the, especially today, because today as we speak, uh, crypto uh, markets across the board uh, are bleeding and completely red. Uh, and uh, it's it's a lot more difficult to uh, raise funding and um, you know operate a, a more profitable uh, business uh, today, especially in the crypto space, because that was never in its vocabulary. Uh, and I think the the biggest lessons that I've learned in in the past is is really not just traditional finance, but also traditional business. Um, one issue that I I came across, well, it's an issue to me, uh, not, not, may not be a huge issue to everybody else, but the issue that I came across at the start was I find it very baffling that money was literally free in the, in the crypto space. Investors last year especially were throwing investments left, right, center at every single thing that called itself a project. Um, and it's, I think it's just very, very risky, and I thought it was pretty ridiculous, if I may say. Uh, so when, when I uh, built uh, Salad or I designed the business uh, model for Salad, um, i like to share that we've taken uh, Web3 money, um, i.e. money from uh, crypto native investors. 
with the intent to build a web two business. Um, in other words, you know, a, a regular business that you know would hopefully withstand the test of uh, uh, economy breakdown, the test of a pandemic, and and the test of uh, business challenges. Um, so that those lessons that I've learned uh, in traditional finance and in running traditional businesses. Um, has certainly, certainly, certainly come into uh, very, come very, very handy in uh, to this space today. Yeah, absolutely. I really resonate with all that you've said there, Felix. And I think, you know, after you stumble across that video of Axie Infinity on YouTube, what characteristics about the play to earn universe really drew you towards it and I guess piqued your curiosity to pursue it further? Well, I think we, if we could just um, sort of generalize play to earn uh, into just gaming, uh, just gaming first. So gaming has has been, you know, it's a market. It's been a market for the longest time possible. It is a massive market. Uh, lots of money, trillions of dollars are floating, are flowing in and out uh, of the gaming um, vertical. Um, so um, that I think is is something that's very very interesting. Now, play to earn uh, obviously has now basically created another use case for a cryptocurrency or a token. So, in the past, when there was just Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example, uh, I think I thought it was very difficult to explain what a cryptocurrency actually is and what it can actually do. But gaming allows us to explain it in a much more simple term. For example, if you used to play, I don't know, any game that you that you play, like Warcraft uh, Three, for example, uh, you would be you know thrown into a dungeon. You'd have some basic weapon. You have a character. You get thrown into a dungeon. You have uh, some basic weapons. You go around slaying monsters. Um, these monsters then drop gold. Uh, these golds then can, and then you know along the way you pick up a piece or two of uh, raw material. For example, uh, you can then take everything to the blacksmith and forge a shield, for instance. But everything uh, remains in the game, regardless of how much you paid um, to start playing the game, or along the way, regardless of how much you have invested into the game. Um, the assets completely are owned by the game. Uh, there is little to, to no avenue for you to uh, to cash out your, your earnings. You, you can't be monetarily rewarded for playing a traditional game. Um, so the first aspect of it is you know, people understand games, people understand gaming. Even non-gamers understand how games work uh, because that is just a, a human nature. It's just our way of life uh, from when we were, we were kids. Um, now, having, having uh, cryptocurrency infused into games uh, and blockchain games, I find that um, this was a lot more interesting because firstly, the inertia to understanding uh, how you how you can uh, sort of make uh, what what is it that you're making from these blockchain games? Uh, that inertia is gone because you sort of can draw a parallel to if you were playing a regular video game, you would have gold or you would have diamonds, and and you translate that directly to a cryptocurrency for that game specifically. Uh, and then you know I think if it is easy for people to understand. I think it will very soon become um, the norm. I think it will very soon become uh, a culture uh, for gaming studios uh, to incorporate cryptocurrency into their game. Uh, And I wanted to be one of the pioneers uh, to enter this industry. Yeah, absolutely. I guess to dive into that a little bit further, Felix, you wrote on your Substack when releasing the white paper for Salad, you said, 
I believe the future of what we call work today will be vastly different from that of tomorrow as the opportunities to earn this life-changing wealth and even livable wages will span far beyond just the play-to-earn model. From that, where do you see this expanding to? And where will the future of work head over the next five years? Um, yeah, well, in my opinion, I think uh, COVID has, has literally changed, uh, has already changed the future of work. So the initial thesis that I had uh, when COVID, COVID was uh, uh, started to become a problem um, is that, you know, look, if so the first thing that happened to work uh, or traditional work or the traditional way by which we work is people stopped going to offices when um, when COVID became very, very serious at the beginning, especially before vaccines. But at the same time, businesses had to continue running. Um, so the theory, uh, the theory that I had or thought I had myself at the time was, I think that uh, for as long as COVID remains a problem uh, and as long as businesses still had to be run, I think business operators, business owners, uh, CEOs would, ha- would will, will have to figure out and they will figure out a way to run their business remotely, to operate their business remotely. Uh, and that was what happened. So in the UK and US in Singapore, uh, there were stay-at-home notices. Uh, you couldn't go to the office. Everyone started getting onto Zoom, onto uh, Google Meet, onto Microsoft Teams. But businesses still continued to run. Sure, some businesses got affected, but operationally, things were things were still moving forward. P- businesses, some businesses were still growing, and they were able to do that because they, uh, the the executives, found a way to to work with their employees remotely. Uh, so now the question that I asked, uh, well, so then uh, the question I asked myself was, if they could work with, let's say in Singapore, if um, if uh, if a company in Singapore could continue to operate with their Singaporean employee working from home, then uh, why would they not think and consider uh, hiring uh, somebody else from a different country who's willing to do the same amount of work or more work for less pay? in order to be uh, more efficient uh, in, in, um, in operating and then obviously in order to be more profitable uh, based on uh, having lower overheads. Uh, and you know, at the same time, if somebody, let's say based in the Philippines, was able to, to create the same value of work for their employer in Singapore, uh, why should they not be paid the same as a Singaporean? Um, so I thought you know, this was actually quite interesting because it's not just um it's not just a a pandemic i think the pandemic at that time caused a change in mindset uh of of uh, of executives mindset of business owners and operators and it also changed uh, the expectations of um of employees as well so now i think employees who are let's say in singapore or in the uk uh, are probably a little bit more aware that uh, their responsibilities or their, their responsibilities now can potentially be taken by, um, by somebody else in a different country with a higher skill set or a lower pay. Um, so their, their, that mindset, both of the employer and, as, and of the employee, I think uh, is, is here to stay. And with that, uh, that's why you know, I sort of coined uh, Work 3.0, um, uh, term myself, uh, I, I think that um, 
people now understand work differently. I think people now understand that they would prefer to, for example, uh, take multiple work calls on a Zoom call as opposed to you know traveling 45 minutes an hour to just do two meetings. Um, so that has changed. I think that's where the future of work is uh, is already. I don't think we're heading there. I think that is a behavioral change that has already happened. Um, I think that uh, with the traditional uh, finance world allocating more capital into the cryptocurrency world, uh, whether it is by issuing or launching ETFs, exchange-traded funds uh, for Bitcoin, uh, or you know even the Michael Saylor or the Elon Musk uh, buying Bitcoin uh, stories that you uh, or articles that you read online, um, I think traditional finance, uh, the traditional finance world, starting to allocate more and more capital into the Web three space, um, and this will then bring in the retail. Of bringing retailers into uh, into the the the, the cryptocurrency uh, world, uh, and this sort of will all tie in because the uh, it is now also easier to sort of pay our employees. So, by way of example, um, we have employees in uh, Malaysia, in Philippines, in Brazil, and a few other countries. Uh, and in the past, it was it was a huge hassle for us to, to make payment or to pay salaries to our employees. Uh, if we wanted to make a transfer, we'd have to use some kind of online banking facility. The fees will be exorbitant uh, and it would take a long time for them to receive uh, their salary. Uh, but you know, right now we pay them uh, via a, a stable coin uh, and uh, they get paid uh, instantly uh, the moment we, we send uh, we send we send the, the stable coin. Uh, so I think all these things will start to sort of come together. Uh, employees will be hired from all over the world. So basically, companies now can be more global. Um, they can have more global presence. It's easier for them to have a global presence because they have now understood how to run a business remotely uh, without having to have a physical office and having their employees sit in that same office uh, and the uh, cryptocurrency or the crypto world uh, also makes it easier to to pay uh, these employees globally so i think work is going global i think work opportunities um, are, are starting to be more global uh, and i think uh, people in previously in, in lower lower wage uh, cities uh, are now probably going to be paid a much fairer wage uh, because it's you know, to the, they, they would be treated as uh, a regular um, local employee uh, at the moment. Yeah, I think COVID has really expedited this process and fundamental shift. And I think with business owners now finding a way to operate their business remotely, as you said, Felix, you're finding a lot more labor efficiency. So alongside frictionless payments to your global employees, how is Salad capitalizing on the trends that have happened and are now fundamentally driving this new era of work? So our focus is still on the play-to-earn space. Um, that's not saying that in the future we will not uh, grow and expand salad into other verticals. Uh, but as I said uh, and I shared earlier uh, on, this, on this call, uh, the play to earn space is, is still very, very young. It literally just started taking off last year. So it's early days, and that's where our focus is. Uh, and what we see is we see a lot more people getting interested in the play to earn um, industry. Uh, it is 
for example, now if you were in the crypto space in last year, if you wanted to make uh, money, you would just buy a random token. Literally, a monkey could make money last year by just buying something you know random uh, from the market, um, or uh, you would say join what they call DeFi yield farms. Um, but recently, because of what's happened with uh, with uh, with some yield farms. Um, the trust in those farms have fallen, uh, and 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 the yield from those uh, activities have also fallen. Uh, so, crypto investors today are looking for opportunities to obviously make money, um, and even non-crypto investors uh, who were not affected by the re- recent bloodbath in the market are also thinking of getting into the market. Um, and I think that again, gaming is something very easy to explain. Uh, and, and something very easy to understand. Uh, and I'll bet, uh, and what we're building towards uh, is we believe that there will be more and more people and investors coming into the play-to-earn space, into the into the world of GameFi. Uh, and uh, what we're doing at Salad to capitalize, well, I wouldn't say capitalize, but really to to spur, uh, to support this growth, to be part, to be, to be one of the cornerstones of this new, uh, industry is to invest in uh, infrastructure tools and to invest in education platforms. Uh, so the tools will help uh, anybody who's interested in entering the GameFi world. Our tools will help them either make more money uh, or save more time. Uh, and the education platform that we've launched uh, last year, late last year, uh, will educate and obviously teach and help uh, people get started uh, in a much more structured way, uh, rather than uh, you know having them go onto YouTube or going onto Google searching for very um, disorganized uh, information about getting started in the in the play to earn world. So uh, we focus on these two uh, directions, uh, and uh, we've also launched a few products that are that are basically uh, doing that and offering this to the uh, to the to the world of play to earn. Yeah, you mentioned a monkey could make money in that market, Felix. And I know we had, we we definitely had a hamster called called Mister Gox, <laughs> which I know traded from uh, from June until its unfortunate passing in uh, I think it was December last year. But I know it nearly doubled the S and P's performance over the same time period. So I find that awfully comical, Felix. <laughs> but I guess diving into gaming a little further, do games become more appealing as a source of income or? as a source of ent- of entertainment. And I guess, how does that psychology differ when you introduce a monetary reward? Um, well, Alex, that is a question that, has been, that is being asked by everyone on crypto Twitter who is interested in um, play to earn. And my answer to that is it, it's, it's, it's both. It, it really is both because... Um, it appeals to different people, and different people have different needs. People who, you know, so you and I, who's got a job, we're reasonably uh, taken care of in our lives. Uh, we play games to de-stress. We play games to make friends. We play games to socialize, um, and that's really what we what we play games for. Uh, but there are players in, um, let's say, less uh, fortunate countries like. Uh, Philippines or in Thailand or in Vietnam or Indonesia, um, they, you know, they, they, they are in a different uh, 
level of need. They are at a different level of need. Uh, in their case, their need is basic and they, if they are offered the opportunity to make money, to play, to earn, uh, that is something for sure um, that will drive uh, them towards. I think that, you know, if you were trying to make ends meet, or you had a family to feed and you did not have a very stable job, um, wanting to, uh, well, looking for a, a game as, a, as an outlet for entertainment or looking for entertainment would probably be the least responsible thing to do. Um, so, I think that uh, block. I think I think that is also where the beauty of, of blockchain games come in. Uh, traditional games, traditional video games, typically offer the uh, only one thing, which is entertainment. It, it just it's just there for us to to play, to de-stress, to enjoy, again to make friends. It's it's also entertainment. Uh, but blockchain games, the reason why I enjoy it uh, so much, why I enjoy this new model so much, is because it offers a little bit of both. Um, to to everyone. Uh, so there will be people who play blockchain games specifically just to earn, and the moment they are not able to earn from playing this specific game, they will stop playing and they'll move on to the next game that will let them earn. Or um, there will be there will also be others who would be looking for you know what they call the next triple A game in the blockchain space that lets them own the assets. Uh, so it's either, you know, I would say that uh, the attraction uh, to a blockchain game for you know somebody who needs to make ends meet is literally the earning aspect of it. I think most of them couldn't care, could care less about the entertainment factor of that specific game. For uh, someone who is looking to play games for entertainment uh, and enjoyment, I think that these gamers will enjoy uh, the uh, the ability uh, to own the assets that they that they um, that they buy that they bought uh, as they get started in these blockchain games. So again, it, you know, I think a game doesn't have to be one or the other. Uh, I think a blockchain game really can be can be both. Um, and there were, you know, there are enough gamers in the world uh, to to cater to. So you know, everybody has got. Uh, different needs. Yeah, I find it a really fascinating notion between you know these these intrinsic versus extrinsic motivators, right? You know, when we when we start to do something, when we start to play a game, Felix, we are intrinsically motivated because we just find it fun. It, it brings us you know some some significant enjoyment. Then when you bring in extrinsic motivators such as monetary figures, uh, monetary rewards, in-game currencies. Perhaps there's this this overlap um, that I guess covers both of these factors, and it almost runs the risk of crowding out the reasons why you started in the first place. So I think it's a really interesting point to to dive into. I guess a little a little further, Felix, can play to earn replace a salary, or does it substitute partial income? You know, how how many hours would I have to dedicate to keep a roof over my head in London, Felix? <laughs> if you didn't add the, the the specific city, I was about to ask you. Uh, uh, well, it depends on where you want that roof to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess I suppose to keep a roof over your head in 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 London, uh, there will be no play to earn game that will allow you to do that. I, I believe if you were just gaming, uh, but you could make, uh, you could keep a roof over your head in London. If you 
for example, uh, operated a guild where you had a, a group of players, also known as scholars, uh, playing on your behalf. Uh, so you're a bit like an online entrepreneur, like an internet entrepreneur, but instead of running an e-commerce website or a drop shipping or an Amazon uh, uh, store, um, you're actually running a guild. Uh, so you, again, depending on where you're from, if you are, say, in the Philippines, and I keep using the Philippines because this is the, I mean, th that is the, the, the country with the most number of blockchain gamers. If you're in the Philippines, um, last year, you'd probably be able to make about 500 US dollars per month um, playing as a scholar uh, on, uh, on behalf of a guild. So, i.e., you would be working for a guild owner uh, by playing an account that's owned by the guild. Um, that means a guild probably also makes the same from every single scholar. Uh, so, if you're in the Philippines last year, you would again be able to more than make ends meet. We've had scholars last year um, who's used their earnings from salad. Uh, they've, they've used it to rebuild a room, uh, pay for you know, uh, pay for their parents' house, uh, pay, uh, pay down the mortgage uh, in the Philippines. We've got so many case studies uh, last year, especially when it was it was a, a very nice bull run. Uh, but this year, of course. Uh, these scholars, the very same scholars, instead of earning, say, $500 a month, uh, they're making more like $50 a month. So it would be a supplementary supplementary income uh, to these scholars this year as compared to last year where we would rep completely replace their, their job. Because, again, if you're, let's say you're, you're, you're a professional in the Philippines, middle management, um, if you were willing to travel um, two to three hours each way to work, Every day, uh, you would probably be making, let's say, $300, $350 a month. And that'd be working six days a week. Um, but, uh, you know, if you were just playing a game as a scholar on behalf of a guild last year, you'll be making $500 a month. So I'd say that would very much replace their salaries um, uh, as of last year. For this year, if you're only drawing $50 uh, a month, then, you know, it would sort of pay for your next new phone uh, or it would go into some kind of insurance plan that uh, you know that you never could afford because you never had that extra fifty dollars uh, for the month um, so I think it's it's very different uh, but for let's say for a for a guild operator so let's say you, you're based in London uh, and you wanted to get into the into the play to earn space but of course you you know you you don't you're not able to spend five hours a day playing games just to earn $50 a month. Uh, what you can do is you can learn, uh, as what I did, understand, try and understand how this business model of running a guild works, um, pick the correct game, create the right structure, um, set, up the, set up some spreadsheets to track uh, your scholars, go up there, recruit some scholars, purchase the game accounts, have these scholars work uh, for your guild. Uh, and you could, depending on how much you invest, uh, you could draw a pretty comfortable um, uh, profit uh, from this business on a monthly basis. Again, depending on how much you initially invest. Uh, but by percentage terms, um, and we, we sort of track our own returns within um, Salad, uh, based, separated by games. Uh, so you know, there are two blockchain games that we're very active in 
Uh, one is called Pagexi and another is called Kribana. Uh, for Pagexi, we're doing probably about 150% uh, annualized return on our Pagexi portfolio. Um, so I'd say that's pretty, uh, that's pretty nice because, you know, every four to five months, you're effectively almost, um, uh, earning 50%, uh, every, every four to five months. So, so, so that's, that's pretty good. You double more than double your portfolio in a year. Um, and very few businesses allow you to have this kind of return. Uh, for the second game, Krabada, um, we're, we're doing probably closer to 800% annualized return. Um, so uh, again, even fewer businesses allow you to have these kinds of solid uh, returns. Um, so depending on where you're from, depending on your ability to, um, depending on your risk appetite, uh, uh, there are different ways to sort of get uh, your get your feet wet in the world of play to earn. If you are in, um, if, if you're not able to sort of finance a guild of scholars, uh, then it probably would be better for you to become a scholar uh, and make some supplementary income. And if you're able to willing and able to take a little bit more risk uh, and start a business, uh, starting a business, uh, starting a guild as a business. Is something that can can still make you a pretty decent return. Wow, I think it's truly fantastic how quite literally revolutionary how play to earn can be. With the example you gave in the Philippines, Felix, it's quite literally transforming people's lives. <laughs> Back to those figures, I they are eye watering, Felix. So it sounds like I'm in the wrong business, and I need to uh, I need to come on over. <laughs> But nonetheless, um, it's, uh, I guess, you know, taking a step back and seeing this from a bigger picture, we had Wednesday this week, Andreessen Horowitz, they announced their first ever $600 million games fund. Where do you see the future of the games industry landing? Um, yeah, so I think the uh, what I see is, as with every gold rush, there, there's going to be more and more gaming studios uh, being set up. I think that, uh, and 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 that that's actually started happening early this year already, where you see a lot of gaming projects in the blockchain space um, being established. They've started raising money. Some of them at ridiculous, ludicrous valuations, and uh, and and they still they still they still get to close their round. Um, uh, you just start to see. I just start to see a lot of a lot of these people coming in. Uh, many of these project uh, leads do not have the uh, experience in, in 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 running gaming studios or in creating games, designing games. Uh, they're mostly very good at marketing. They're very good at community building. Um, so I see a lot of very poor quality uh, gaming game studios, very poor quality games. Um, come in to this market. Uh, this bear market right now is probably a good thing because you know it separates the signal from the noise. Uh, I think that the bulk of that six hundred million dollars will will go to uh, quality projects, quality game studios. Uh, again, defined. Uh, everyone has their own definition of quality, uh, but I think there will be. Um, it would be. It would not be divided uh, into say six hundred different projects it would probably be divided in 20 different projects and they'll go um they buy very big tickets into 
into better uh, gaming studios run by professionals uh, who who have experience designing games, creating games, uh, and marketing uh, those games, um, which is quite unfortunate uh, because um, I, I think that the problem with with having very uh, with having many uh, low quality games come online, uh, or low quality game studios being set up is you know it then brings possibly a bad name to to this industry. So. You know, a rising tide raises our raises our boats, but at the same time, the investors is also true. Um, so, what I hope to see, in fact, is I hope to see um, the larger gaming studios uh, ship their products faster because it does take a long time to create a good game. Uh, I, I hope to see uh, the biggest gaming studios uh, ship uh, uh, the 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 games, the blockchain games, quicker, um, and uh, hopefully, the smaller studios. Uh, actually take this time to learn more about game creation, game design, uh, why people play, uh, definition of fun, and these very fundamental questions, you know, that I, that I think is, is currently missing uh, in the space. Yeah, I think definitely larger checks into quality studios rather than this spray and pray strategy that we've definitely been been seeing over the past. Does this, I guess, rule out studios from emerging markets, Felix? And how do qualified entrepreneurs coming from, you know, not necessarily primary countries get funded when they've got a qualified team, they know what they're doing, and it's just the capital that they're now looking for? Well, I think there are... There are good, uh, good studios, and there are good teams, and there are good founders uh, in the gaming space uh, in emerging markets. So, you know, many, uh, many larger gaming studios have uh, have had uh, leads in in their in their studios who come from emerging uh, countries, and COVID again. Uh, may have brought many of these diasporas back to their home countries. Um, and now they thought, you know, I spent X number of years with this company and, and that large gaming studio, and now that I'm back home and there is this new thing called uh, Play to Earn and Blockchain Games, I would like to start my own studio. I actually think that um, the, uh, there will be very big uh, names or big studios that will be successful <clears throat> um, in this space. Uh, coming from emerging uh, countries, and um, I just I just think that there's just currently too many uh, people starting, and it's it's very tough and very difficult to separate uh, what's good and what's you know not the best. Uh, but I, I think that the the country of origin doesn't really uh, matter and and will not affect their ability to raise capital. Yeah, I'm definitely definitely with you there. Now, coming to the to the latter end of this, Felix, we'll we'll have a bit of a you know short um, one liner questions, and I'd love to hear your your immediate response. So, first off, what's the ten year mission for Salad? That is a very 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 big one liner question, Alex. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I will try I will try to accommodate to that. But well, the ten year mission or the, I suppose, the infinite mission of Salad um, is to bring method to the madness of this new Work 3.0. And what that means is in order for us to do that, uh, 
uh, we need to always uh, keep our hand on, on the pulse. We need to know what's happening in the play to earn space or the X, Y, Z to earn space, as they call it now, because now there are other things like learn to earn, uh, run to earn and what have you. Um, so work 3.0 is our, is our mission. Um, we want to create, uh, again, focus on the infrastructure as well as the education part of, um, of bringing people into this work 3.0 space and that will involve us creating uh, more products uh, investing in other products uh, striking partnerships and definitely focusing very very heavily on the education uh, aspect of um, of this new work 3.0 uh, revolution fantastic what's the favorite game and why <laughs> favorite game um, so, so, do you mean favorite blockchain game or favorite game in general? Do you mean uh, personally or a salad? Personally, Felix. Personally, what's your go-to? Okay, right. So, personally, now, um, so I de-stress with, with on on, uh, on Call of Duty Mobile on my iPad. Um, so, very interestingly and very naively as well. I just realized that I can actually connect a PlayStation 5 con uh, controller to my iPad. Um, so I bought one from the Apple Store, connected it to the iPad, and uh, yeah, in between calls, uh, I play Call of Duty Mobile. Well, I hope I'm not interrupting your game right now, Felix. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, um, I know you're a big family man, so what does your perfect day look like? A perfect day, uh, yes, I've got, I've got three kids, three very, very young children, um, and uh, my wife also, as I, I shared earlier, she runs the uh, events business, uh, so we, uh, we have a very busy family life, uh, and a perfect day, a perfect work day um, is, is when, when the kids are cooperative, where you know, they wake up on time, we drop them off at school. We have you know, a one-hour breakfast, uh, me and my wife. Uh, head to the office, uh, hop onto um, calls, get into team meetings with my team uh, in our offices. Um, and then, you know, having at least an hour or two to socialize over beer uh, or gin and tonic or nice gin and tonic with, uh, with uh, our team as well, uh, just nearby, just to, you know, build a bit of camaraderie with the team. Uh, then heading back, heading uh, back home for dinner, uh, spending more time with the kids after their school, um, and then uh, playing some Call of Duty Mobile, uh, and uh, uh, finishing the night off with a glass of whiskey or two. That would be a perfect day. That sounds pretty damn good, Felix. You know, I I also love a good gin and tonic, but the weather currently in London is saying otherwise. So maybe I'll have to say that for another day. <laughs> Now, talk me through your productivity system. How does this support your day-to-day -day operations with Salad? Oh, uh, yeah. So there is the personal productivity and there is the company or the project productivity. Uh, for, 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 the, for the company, uh, we use Asana. Uh, and we have team leads. We create OKRs uh, for the team leads. And we just focus on those OKRs and make sure that tasks are created for each key result. Um, so OKRs are objectives and key results. So we create tasks or the team leads create tasks for their respective key results. We assign it to their, um, to their, to their team members. Uh, and uh, with the senior leader, leadership uh, team, uh, we then have very regular 
um, uh, uh, meetings and stand-up meetings with, with the team lead, uh, regular meeting every day, but with different teams each day. Uh, and just to make sure that we're constantly de uh, delivering, we're constantly moving forward, um, and just to make sure that we are always uh, on top of things. Um, I think the responsibility is to make sure that uh, we're always on top of problems, or I am always on top of problems, uh, meaning uh, if a problem is emerging, uh, I should be the first uh, to know. Um, <clears throat> and that will allow us to be and that allows us uh, to be very productive uh, at Salad as a team. Uh, personally, um, there are a few uh, things that I, I, I manage. So uh, in my personal life, my family life, I, I have an assistant uh, who helps, uh, helps me with a lot of um, the personal uh, responsibilities, uh, such as, for example, if we're hosting, um, we're hosting dinner uh, this Friday, then you've got to make sure that dinner is ordered. And these things used to take up a lot of my time. Um, so having an assistant uh, certainly helps with, with organizing my personal uh, life. Uh, but for me and work, uh, I, I, I get up uh, at six in the morning uh, every day, even on weekends, uh, because it gives me at least an hour uh, to an hour and a half uh, to uh, to read articles, to you know, to read uh, a, a chapter or two uh, from uh, a book, um, it gives me time to to uh, write stuff down, to think about problems that I faced in in the, the day before, uh, and try and come up with with solutions and to plan for my day ahead. So waking up early for sure is something that uh, has made me very very productive, uh, and writing things down. I think um, the most basic thing is is literally just write things down if you want to be productive. I mean, Kevin O'Leary, I think, has shared in one of his videos on YouTube before, it's, you know, there is a simple productivity hack that he uses, uh, and it's called Post-it Notes. Um, basically, everything that he needs to get done uh, today, he writes, he gets up in the morning, he writes those things down on Post-it Notes. One note equals, uh, one note has one thing that he needs to do. At the end of the day, um, anything that's done, he throws that those notes away, and the rest he just rolls over to the next day, or he relooks at whether it is important. It is still important uh, to be done. So I use that system as well. I've got loads of post-it notes in the office, at home. Uh, so I've got notes. I've got post-it notes everywhere. And then you know I don't write on a notebook anymore because I used to buy tons of notebooks. Uh, I just write on an iPad now using this app called Notability. Um, <clears throat> and that's because I sync it to my phone. So, you know, if I'm at home, I remember what I wrote uh, in the office uh, and vice versa. So yeah, these are very, very basic productivity hacks. And it's really just a meta mindset uh, more than anything else. Definitely. And I think having that quiet time in the morning, those hour or two that you can be with yourself and be with your thoughts and focus on what's important and get that that high priority task done Felix is so so important and that really really resonates with me now Felix when you think of success who is the first person that comes to mind and why uh wow um yeah so uh, I think in terms of business success and uh, specifically I I'd have to say, I, I have to say that Elon Musk is is a very very good operator. Um, I, I'm not sure I 100% I agree with his methods, 
Um, but I think that man delivers uh, in the way he delivers. And, and I think it's just, you know, it's so difficult running one business and he runs so many large businesses. He is on the news every single day. Um, I think he is very successful in managing pressure. I think he is very successful in operating. Um, I think he is very su- successful um, in in keeping up with um, with the public's uh, expectation, uh, being obviously CEO of Tesla, uh, listed company. So I think business success or entrepreneurship uh, success, I think Elon Musk certainly comes to mind. Um, but if I were to pick somebody a little bit more well-rounded, a little bit more balanced, and not just business, 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 uh, but but you know, a marriage life, a family life. Um, I actually think that David Beckham is doing a pretty good job, uh, to be honest. Uh, I, so, so, you know, out of just uh, fun, I just follow him on, on Instagram, um, you know, where, where he posts um, his, uh, you know, his lunches or his dinners with Elton, with Sir Elton John, with other friends. He, you know, he, he, he has meetups with other sportsmen, in, uh, professional sportsmen in his, uh, you know, at, at his level. Um, he's got a pretty decent business um, or a few businesses going, some endorsements. Um, his, wife, his, his wife and him, um, at least, you know, on the surface, uh, have got very good uh, a relationship uh, with each other. So I think that's very, very important. I think uh, many married entrepreneurs uh, tend to discount the importance of a happy marriage. Uh, I think he has a decently happy marriage. Um, I think his three children, uh, or his four children, was it four or five children he's got? Um, but his kids he, and, and him, uh, they've got, they seem to have a, a very healthy relationship, very open uh, relationship also. Uh, I think his children are doing well, apart from Harper, obviously, who's still very tiny. Um, so I think overall, uh, I think Beckham is... Uh, is, is quite uh, an interesting inspiration. He's extremely popular. Obviously, uh, the name now is synonymous to many, many things. Uh, but yet, see, he still remains uh, very humble. And I think uh, if I had to pick between the two, which you probably would ask, uh, I would I would think that Beckham's got a, uh, is probably a better role model for, for myself. I love that. And I think who you choose to be your partner, Felix, is one of, if not the best investment you can make in your life. So I'm totally with you there. Now, 24 hours before this podcast, I went to Twitter to ask questions they want to hear. So we'll dive right in, Felix. Mathan Mohammed, the co-founder and CEO of Material 10, the blockchain gaming studio, asks, what does the future of game economics look like whilst balancing incentives? Yeah, so Mohammed, uh, thanks for the question. I think uh, what he's asking about is the tokenomics design for games and what the future is. That literally is a $10 billion question. Um, so, you know, I don't have a specific answer to that, but um, what we do know is that the current models do not work um, because all the gaming tokens um, are inflationary, meaning um, it's unlimited and it just keeps they just keep printing money, unlimited money uh, within the games, and it you know basically makes the token completely worthless over time. Uh, I think that uh, the games have to de- have to think about um, the game economics as opposed to the token uh, economics or tokenomics. And what I mean by that is, for example, if you take Warcraft Three for, uh, as an example, um, you know you would 
let's say, purchase a CD key, uh, get started with the game, um, go in, grind, you need to spend some time, you've got to have a little, little bit of luck, a little bit of skill, um, you kill some monsters in the dungeon, you get some gold pieces, you also get some rare items, and then, you know, as you take these things, you fuse it into something else, and then you go to the marketplace and you sell it for gold. This gold is then paid uh, by paid by another player um, in order for you to, so for example, let's say you, you, you get 10 pieces of gold and one piece of um, iron ore, and that allows you to then fuse it into a shield. So you, you've, you've used 10 gold plus one iron ore. This is then, you know, this, this shield that you fuse in the, at the blacksmith can then be sold at the marketplace for, say, 50 pieces of gold. This extra 40 pieces of gold um, would have been paid to you by another player who wants that shield. Um, as opposed to currently, uh, if there were, if you were making 50 pieces of gold, that would have been paid to you by the game. It would have been drawn down or printed by the game, uh, which then makes that game tokens inflationary. So I think um, games should think more about designing circular economies. Um, I don't think games should be thinking um, too much about uh, features that allow uh, players to burn the tokens, or as they call currently, they call them token sinks, because um, I, I think that's, that doesn't work. I think games should think very, very clearly about the in-game economy, um, how people can uh, create value for each other, um, and then uh, you know, uh, start, start trading with each other within the game, as opposed to just constantly going to the game uh, to get more payouts. Great answer. He also asks, what are the potential dangers that guilds pose to game economics from harvesting these financial assets? Yeah, so this was another topic uh, earlier this year where people were asking if guilds were extractors of value um, um, and and were they detrimental to the fall of of blockchain games. Uh, And I'm strongly against that thought because I think if Guilds bring players, guilds bring loads of players, guild invest. Now, guilds are typically one of the first few investors into games. Um, and um, I, I think that the reason why these blockchain games or none, none of the blockchain games today uh, are doing very well is, is not because of guilds, it's because they haven't designed their token or their, or their game economy uh, well at all, uh, if at all. Um, I think that guilds bring a lot of value to, to games. They bring uh, uh, capital, they bring players. Uh, imagine this, right? Imagine if you were create, if you created a game um, and you had to try and persuade uh, players to join your game or to play your game one at a time. Uh, how long would it take? How much effort would it cost? Uh, what would the cost um, per acquisition uh, B, uh, it's going to take you forever to get, you know, to get to the number of daily active players that you'd want for your game. Uh, as opposed to going to a guild who can bring in a thousand players next week and, you know, purchase, uh, let's say $300,000 worth of your NFTs, uh, send in a thousand players, get them to start playing games so that when the other players start coming into your game, they actually have players to play against. Um, if, if guilds don't come in, then there will be little to no players at the start. How do you get traction? How do you get people interested in your game if there are no players in the first place? So guilds, uh, I think guilds are, are underrated. I think guilds are underappreciated. Um, and I think guilds are really just an easy target um, for, uh, for, for games failing. 
Yeah, really interesting point. And I think I'm, I'm with you there, Felix, in them being additive and at least surpassing that initial ledge of friction for getting traction with the game and getting more players in, inside of the economy. So I'm with you on that. Now, I have a tradition on this podcast, Felix, where at the end of the show, I get the guest to answer a question that was left by the previous guest. So last week, we had Rex Woodbury, the partner at Index Ventures, on. And their question is, what is one thing you recently started doing that you wish you started doing years ago? Um, wow. <laughs> okay. What is one thing I recently started doing that I wish I, 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 did, uh, I started doing years ago? Um, I wish I was more open uh, to the world of cryptocurrencies uh, years ago, uh, well, years before I was open to cryptocurrency. So because I was running my previous uh, business in the event space, uh, so I was blinders on, just focused on that business. Um, I've had friends come to me introducing the world of cryptocurrency uh, years and years ago. I wish I was more open to that. Um, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but that was a good question. Very, very tricky one as well. Yeah. I think so. If if uh, hindsight was the game, you know, we'd uh, we'd all be um, doing, doing extremely well. <laughs> so uh, I'm 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 with you there, Felix. Well, listen, it's been a real real pleasure having you on the show, my friend. We've we've come to the end now, but it's been the first of its kind diving into Web three, specifically the play to earn economy and gaming itself. So, listen, I'm really thrilled we got to do it. It is a pleasure coming on to your podcast, Alex, and uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for, uh, for sharing this uh, with your community as well.